From the Financial Times in London, I'm John Murray-Brown and this is FT News. The Philippines went to the polls this week to elect a new president. It was a characteristically rumbustious campaign in what is, after all, Asia's oldest democracy. But even with the official results still to be declared, Rodrigo Duterte, a populist former mayor, has already declared himself the winner. I'd like to say that I'd like to, to reach my hand to my opponents. Uh, let us begin the healing now. By choosing a candidate not connected with the families that dominated Philippine politics since independence from the US in the 1940s, ordinary voters appear to have signalled their dissatisfaction even after a period when the economy has outperformed most of its Southeast Asian peers. Joining me down the line to discuss this is the FT's Indonesia correspondent, Avantika Chilkoti, who's just back from Manila reporting on the final days of the election campaign. Avantika, so who is this Rodrigo Duterte? John, I think that's the question everybody's asking outside of the Philippines right now. I think the best way to describe him is Asia's Donald Trump. That's how he's been positioned. Duterte has basically won the headlines. He's got a whole lot of attention over the campaign trail. Overseas, the things that everyone knows him for is making jokes about a gang rape. People know him for cursing the Pope. The Philippines is at the center of the South China Sea dispute, and he's known for saying he will drive a jet ski up to contested islands flying a Philippines flag. I mean, that's why people say he's Asia's Donald Trump. He has these sort of big, brazen statements and not much substance under it. But um, in other ways, he's actually nothing like Donald Trump. I mean, he, he actually has a track record in government for the last 20 years. He's been in government in Davao City, in, in sort of the south of, of the archipelago. This is a guy who's turned Davao City from the Wild West to one of the Philippines' most safe cities. But the trouble there is also how he's gone about doing that. So human rights groups slam him for uh, links to death squads in, in Davao. He himself has admitted to his links to these sort of extrajudicial killings. His promise is to clamp down on drugs and crime by whatever means it takes. And again, the sensational comments continue. He says that you know the waters around Manila will be clogged with a hundred dead bodies because he's just going to kill all the suspected criminals. The best way to describe him is someone who's caught the public imagination. But at the moment, no one really knows who he is when it comes to policy and real action. So if there's one thing, perhaps from this election result, that is clear, ordinary Filipinos are unhappy with the pattern of development, the inequality that still exists. What do you think President Duterte can do to address these challenges? As you say, I think the number one reason why you're not seeing an establishment candidate like Mar Rojas or even Grace Poe, who promised to pretty much continue what the Aquino administration had started, the reason these guys haven't done well is that people think that the poor masses haven't benefited from the top-line economic growth in the Philippines. I think last year, the percent of the population living in poverty was about 26%. The last government has done stuff. There was conditional cash transfers. They've upped spending on social services and things. But everyday concerns of the poor masses, I mean, whether they're valid concerns or not, I, I think they haven't been answered. A lot of the fragile poor are very far outside of Manila. And something like a farmer, just giving them infrastructure, farm-to-market roads, helping them with irrigation, rice prices, just tackling the very basic textbook problems could really um, improve that poverty rate quite quickly.
What do you think is the danger that the economy is now in with his election? We saw some nervousness in the markets ahead of the vote. The peso, the Philippine currency, for example, was under pressure and the stock exchange took a little bit of a knock last week. But are those jitters justified in any way, do you think? If you look at the macro fundamentals of the Philippines, I mean, I interviewed the finance minister last week, and as he says, and most people in government say, they're on a positive cycle that will be difficult to derail. Since taking the reins in 2010, President Benigno Aquino III has pledged to put the Philippines on what he calls a straight path, improving governance, stamping out corruption, and with that, he's improved tax takes. He has ramped up infrastructure investment. It's about 5% of GDP now. He's controlling government debt. So that's fallen from, I think, above 60% of GDP to around 45% last year. So when it comes to the macros, this is an economy that's on the straight and narrow. I think over the last five years, the average annual growth is about 6.3%. Whoever takes over this economy is taking over an economy that's sort of in far better shape than the Philippines has been in decades. The thing is the uncertainty around Duterte. No one really knows what he has in store for the economy. And that uncertainty is palpable amongst businessmen and investors in Manila. It depends now who Duterte elects in his cabinet. If he brings in trusted, smart economists, that's one thing. But people there do really have the jitters, and that has consequences for the economy. Talk us through how the economy has achieved these pretty impressive growth rates over the last few years. One of the interesting features which uh, you've been writing about in the past has been how much the Philippines depends on the overseas remittances from the million-odd Filipinos who live and work abroad. But I read in one of your recent dispatches that the pace of cash transfers is slowing. Is that a worry for the authorities? I think about 10% of the population actually lives and works abroad. And these remittances are crucial to prop up the external balances. They prop up household spending. Basically, I mean, in a country where you have a lot of people speaking very good English, a lot of ambitious, fairly well-educated people, remittances are an important part of the economy. And increasingly, these aren't people going over to in the Middle East as unskilled labor or as household help. But these are now people with skilled jobs as nurses and maybe even teachers. You do now have the sense that remittances are slowing. I mean, I don't know how much that's to do with exchange rates and, and cyclical things, but the interesting thing that you have to remember is that these people don't actually want to go abroad. Very often when you speak to young Filipinos in Manila or in places where there are jobs, they say that people go abroad because they can't get a job. So in a way, if the economy is doing well and remittances are slowing, you could say, is this just because now you're generating enough good jobs in the Philippines, which is a good thing. I mean, the second question there is, well, how are you going to get all this foreign exchange remittances used to provide? And that's when this IT outsourcing sector comes in. There's lots of projections in the next few years when the size of the domestic IT services sector will exceed the volume of remittances. Even this year, I think the idea is that sector will create 1.3 million jobs. If you look at the central fancy part of Manila, Makati, the office vacancy rates are only about 2%, which is ridiculously low. And that's because the IT services sector is doing so well. One looming concern or issue, at least, for most Southeast Asian economies is the effect of the slowdown in China. What impact could that have on the Philippines? Or are they less dependent than other countries on Chinese growth? I think the latest data I have is a couple of years ago, but it was the second largest trading partner, almost 15% of total trade. I would say, actually, that the biggest concern is geopolitics with China. There have been 
rising tensions in the South China Sea. There's been Filipino fishermen going up to Scarborough Shoal and claiming that there's water cannons and Chinese boats pushing them away. And when you get this kind of tension, what you also get is Chinese people importing from the Philippines are cracking down on shipments. This trade-off between wanting Chinese investment and Chinese trade, and at the same time trying to stand up to China in contested waters. And I think that's kind of at the moment the difficult dynamic. So looking forward, what do you see as the main risks to the Philippine economy? Even if you look at the ADB, the IMF, the World Bank, they all have pretty strong growth forecasts even for this year. I mean, we're looking at 6%, 6.4%. And unless something unravels very quickly, there's not much reason to think that that's going to change. The big risk is, again, it's just the uncertainty of a Duterte character. This is someone who has no experience in national-level politics. In, in a country where personality is so important, we haven't really asked or we haven't really got answers on what he plans for the economy. OK, I'm Vantika. Thanks so much. Uh, we're moving into a, an uncertain era, but at least on sound foundations.